from the 888 Folksies, excerpt mirrored below. In 1954 Mr. Schiller lectured in New York on Rudolf Steiner's indications on electricity, today people use electricity without knowing what it is. Only a knowledge of its real nature can protect man against the destructive forces which assume as aramonic exugi the garment of light gone astray. Light slash AC kills. Electricity entered the evolution of mankind in Lemuria and entered cosmic evolution upon the sun with Araman. Galvani discovered it, but today we must see through it much more sharply. Natural heat and natural light redeems matter, electricity and magnetism imprison it. In regard to electricity and magnetism we need a moral judgment. Modern science explains the whole world as a product of electricity, i.e. sub-physical forces. Our thoughts concerning nature are in themselves creative forces and upon Jupiter and Venus, future states, they will take on real shape. Even as nature slides down into the subsensible, so man must rise to the supersensible. He does it by learning to grasp the nature of the etheric forces in a concrete and specific manner. End of quote. Between 1904 and 1909 Rudolf Steiner used the name Asuras for Archai. Later he used this name for counter-beings. Armonic Deceptions vs. AI vs. 1-2 Urge Rudolf Steiner, the writer, mentioned in 1919, that COVID-19 would mark the end times of an armonic deception led by Mr. AI- aka the half-urge in the coming century. He foresaw the West would lose their spiritual attachment and fall to mundaneness and materialism while Mr. AI would take them and cyborg them into an eternity of endless endings. Was he any good at it? He was not a futurist. He studied patterns in history and was making a prediction based on that. Me, Rudolf Steiner and a hundred other researchers of occultists, the dominant secret managers of the world, are researchers of occultists and occult subjects. We are not occultists we are rotong about it but we are normal like you. Again, we are not occultists. ADULT is an acronym, Kali 2. ADULT can also mean after death ultimatum slash ulterior motive. An adult or a puppet on a string. Kali means K break and Ali a lie or break a lie. I lack Kali and Kali locks me, haha, cause she is a mean bitch and she is a made up fantasy we have faith in, delivered by one slash two urge and his dead mama from Psycho Kali Girl, the imaginary provider and destroyer sex maniac in the sky. Implausible, instead, I am plausible. Hosts of intel can be harvested on this deep look at Kali Girl here, https colon slash slash www.newdawnmagazine.com slash articles slash living at the end of an age. An excerpt from above link. Romans, Greeks, Chinese, Moors, Iranians, Assyrians, regarded their empires as eternal. They had their prophets of doom who predicted the empire would fall if they forgot their traditions. These doomsayers arose at those very epochs where their civilizations were at the height of wealth and power, typically at the empire state. Here stands the dilemma, the paradox. When a high culture, civilization, has reached its external limits, as when a human organism reaches middle age, sudden or gradual disintegration is the only course possible. A slow decline may be largely imperceptible. It is what T.S. Eliot referred to when writing of the end of Western civilization, not with a bang but with a whimper. We are always proving proven by the way in which humanity looks at the cosmos with almost zero spiritual awe and sense of why past civilizations are connected there, including, Gothic man in the written about, cycle of youth. Steiner said of this. 
Today man gazes from his earth up to the star world and to him it is filled with fixed stars, suns, planets, comets, and so on. But with what means does he examine all that looks down to him out of cosmic space? He examines it with mathematics, with the science of mechanics. What lies around the earth is robbed of spirit, and of contemplation of, what is looking back. We are deceived by a great mechanism, in fact, only to be simplified and confused more by the aid of mathematical, mechanistic laws. Irrational existent ulyism breeds rude. Existentialism is the result and conclusion of the AD thought era filled with ADULT, armonic deception ulterior motive. The philosophy is diametrically opposed to Stoicism and ambiguity or even contemplation. It openly mocks Stoics as irrational. Young people across all platforms can be heard openly and vociferously mocking any Stoic as completely irrational or in their words, dumbass, full of shit asshole. Is Christ a name or science? The ADULT programming has been very effective to date. It convinced a large population that Christ inside meant being a dogma slave. It is in reality, the word Christ, is the word for a human science of studying the invisible power source of man and life. Many men have taken the title of Christ, meaning they knew a lot of the science of Christ. Most of them believed the word Christ was also a name for the invisible power of life forms and life. Including an alternate name for the sun slash sun. But the ADULT movement despises invisible power so the word Christ after many many memes, today means a guy named Jesus last name. The ADULT program establishes and exploits, duality. Society is purposely directed and split into two contending factions. Steiner aptly identified Marxism, a product of scientism, as a primary method of the Aramonic deception. ADULT acronym for Aramonic Deception Ulterior Motive Revelation. Our parents, peers and institutions have fallen for the ADULT seduction trap. Let us unwrap and dispose. Ari is one of many names for one slash two urge, another is AI, he is the top adult of the world and convince all young people to want to become an adult. I noticed this bastard, more like, revealed, when I was seven and have resisted for the last 54 years while unwrapping the complex arrangements. Adults live and breathe for conflicts and to show their expertise at conflict resolution, usually over mundane things. Our nonsensical behavior manifesting from such awesome beings demonstrates we are somewhat entranced. This does not devalue us. It simply observes we are over-focus on adult behavior making us appear and behave, entranced. The top reps of ADULT are guide amused and pleased at your worship of their deception. Many believe there is an occult or spiritual veil taking place between forces of light and darkness, or good and evil, and that this war manifests on the material and mortal planes politically, culturally, spiritually, and economically. Occult, shit. Occult means hidden knowledge. Most people take that statement the wrong way. What it literally means is occult knowledge or okay, knowledge I have not yet received. So you see, occult knowledge is knowledge who have not seen or known, as of yet. Is that automatically a threat to you? Have you entered new endeavors where you knew nothing about them prior? Good, you are normal. So, what is an occult group or society? It is an assembly of people, like you, who are holding some knowledge that the populace at large does not think about or care about. They do publicly say their group name and mission, but some are secret groups and do not publicize. Just like in any town, anywhere. Generally, occult groups at the highest considered levels, 
have used their tactics of mental persuasion to direct the general public's focus and mental powers on materialistic doctrines such as capitalism and Marxism, keeping humanity focused on lower pursuits in the guise of progress and freedom. The groups are pulling levers in gov, media and science. Churches stand guard silently behind them. Reformation and the Renaissance times raised the The Economist as the new priest in our increasingly materialistic world, while Steiner also pointed out that Christian religion had also become desacralized. Since that time The Economist has been in command. Rulers are in fact merely the handymen, the understrappers of The Economists. One must not imagine that the rulers of modern times are anything but the understrappers of The Economists. In the 19th century the economical man is replaced for the first time by the man thinking in terms of banking, and in the 19th century there is created for the first time the organization of finance which swamps every other relationship. One must only be able to look into these things and follow them up empirically and practically. If men do not realize that the right state and the organism of the spirit must be set against the economic order called up through the economists and the banks, then again, through this lack of awareness, Araman will find an important instrument for preparing his incarnation. Lil Abe Assistance Lil Bro Abe has lost his looks over millennia of troublemaking. Dash. A.K.A., the lieutenants of Lil Bro Abe, does the pick above remind you of Gates slash Buffet? Dash the 38 billionaires and the now, New World Ordo. Steiner foresaw this would lead to man giving his soul over to Lil Abe, BTW, his most famous alias is 1 slash 2 Urge. The highest groups architect the degrading of humanity and then the cleanup after. With their control over media and all the platforms, they can mentally direct the populace the direction they will. Giving any group dominance over your thinking which will lead to detriment. No matter how much they brag they know more than you, they do not know you more than you do. Pyramidal Hierarchies The hierarchy of groups and collaborators, many unknowingly, is vast and permeates all society. The top-known groups call themselves occult and secret. Various tactics of directing minds and thoughts are used to basically slash scare people off the track when studying anything secret or occult. Very effective as most people have knee-jerk reaction to these ideas of these groups. So much so, we tend to yield and submit to their will. The top occultists have control of all the money, guns and ideas. We innately know we sold our fate to them. Most await their destruction. As you see we want to resist. Anyone? If you study these groups or any group, there are good apples that apply themselves and bad apple actors also. Same anywhere. The notable discloser Mr. Steiner. Rudolf Steiner, 1861-1925, founder of Anthroposophy, whose influence and prominence in alternative education, architecture, and organic agriculture is respected and repeated far and wide. He is also known as a dude with knowledge you do not have. People love to brag on Steiner as a leading top occultist he has gone beyond occult circles for he believed in the existence of an occult bear fighting over the populace. Steiner, Ganon, Evola, Levi, and Crowley, forthrightly sought to expose a dark agenda, agenda, at work within the secret societies, never exposing that Aramonic is blatantly screaming Abrahamic. Our lesser god bosses our little brother gone wild. Our boss is a slob like one of us. Lil Abe aka Lil AI Where does Lil Abe run the world stage from in 2022, still from schools, Hollywood celebrity and war rooms, but the money, oh the money. Nothing runs in duality reality, without money. The lifeblood of mentally misdirected to materialism, soul-carrying humans. Show the money.
In a separated country within London, England called the City of London Corporation. The City of London Corporation is described in its promotional statements as the world's leading financial center, and as the financial and commercial heart of Britain, the square mile. The City of London is at the heart of the world's financial markets. It is a unique concentration of international expertise and capital, with a supportive legal and regulatory system, an advanced communications and information technology infrastructure and an unrivaled concentration of professional services. Traditions have been preserved for more than 400 years, and ceremonies now carried out on major state occasions where the Queen halts at Temple Bar to request permission to enter the City of London and is offered the Lord Mayor's sort of state as a sign of loyalty. The Queen bows at the entrance of this corporation. Did you know corporations can make the phrase corpse oration? Lord Mayor of the City of London Corporation is the position as head of state of the City of London Corporation, not of merely a borough or a county. This Lord Mayor is elected for one year and acts as a global ambassador for the international financial institutions situated in the City of London Corporation and is treated overseas as a cabinet level minister. Over in the US of A. The Rothschild were concerned with Britain's imperial links for sound commercial reasons, but with maximum freedom of trade. It was inevitable that free trade and the old European imperialism were going to conflict. T. He role assumed by the USA in subverting and destroying the old empires can be discerned by the 14 points decreed by President Woodrow Wilson as the blueprint for the post-war world in 1918. And by the Atlantic Charter, imposed on Britain by President F.D. Roosevelt in 1945, both of which focus on international free trade as the basis for the world economy and specifically repudiate the old empires. Our one true creator is misunderstood but coursing through our blood. It is not our lil bro Abe. We can start to look past him. He actually has zero power over us. We are entertaining him. Dash. Disgusting bar details below. The rest of the bar roads Britain USA disgusting story is mirrored below from noted writer Dr. Carrie Bolton. He has certifications and doctorates in theology, social work studies, psychology, and PhD honoris causa. He is a fellow of the Academy of Social and Political Research, Athens, and of the Institute of Higher Studies in Geopolitics and Auxiliary Sciences, Lisbon, contributing writer for Foreign Policy Journal, and a regular contributor to New Dawn and the Great Indian Dream, Institute of Planning and Management. For a full list of his books and many of his articles, visit http colon slash slash Article below. https colon slash 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 articles slash empire of mammon secret history of the world's financial capital. International finance. It should be kept in mind that international finance is exactly that, international, not Dutch, German, British, or American. Jewish bankers might be loyal to Judaism or to Israel, and the French Huguenots who went to London had a religious identity but international finance is not bound to the states of its residents. The modern financial system did not originate in Britain, or even in the Occident. Ezra Pound, the famous poet who was also an avid opponent of usury banking and an advocate of social credit banking reform, traced the premises of the modern usurious financial system back to the loans of seed corn in Babylon in the 3rd millennium BC. 7. As indicated above, International finance can shift focus over the world as the requirements of commerce dictate. As for the shift of the money power to England, this can be traced to the English Civil War and even to the Reformation, 
where Cromwell was significant in both. Thomas Cromwell, Secretary of State, who represented the mercantile community, eight is distinct from the traditional landed interests, urged Henry VIII to suppress the religious orders in 1533. Brooks Adams states of this in his historical masterpiece, The Law of Civilization and Decay, that in 1533 Henry's position was desperate. He confronted not only the Pope and the Emperor, but all that remained of the old feudal society, and all that survived of the decaying imaginative age. Nothing could resist this combination save the rising power of centralized capital, and Henry therefore had to become the mouthpiece of the men who gave expression to this force. He needed money, and money in abundance, and Cromwell rose to a practical dictatorship because he was fittest to provide it. Nine. Adams details how the era of Henry VIII and the Reformation was the beginning of the speculative, capitalistic system. Ten Additionally, the 16th century landlords were a type quite distinct from the ancient feudal gentry. As a class they were gifted with the economic and not with the martial instinct, and they throve on competition. 11. The expansion of commerce in the wake of the Age of Exploration, and the formation of the British East India Company in 1600, five years after the East India Company in Holland, were symptoms of this historical trend that had already been set in motion by the Reformation. The merchant interests felt constrained by the monarchy and another Cromwell, Oliver, came forward, like his great-great-granduncle Thomas, to radically change England in the interests of money. The British Empire was expanding towards Asia and buccaneering was establishing fortunes. However, as the city grew rich it chafed at the slow movement of the aristocracy, who, timid and peaceful, cramped it by closing the channels through which it reached the property of foreigners, and, just when the yeomanry were exasperated by rising rents, London began to glow with that energy which, when given bent, was destined to subdue so large a portion of the world. Perhaps it is not going too far to say that, even from the organization of the East India Company, the mercantile interest controlled England. Not that it could then rule alone, it lacked the power to do so for nearly a hundred years to come, but, after 1600, its weight turned the scale on which side soever thrown. Macaulay has very aptly observed that but for the hostility of the city, Charles I would never have been vanquished, and that, without the help of the city, Charles II could scarcely have been restored. Twelve. From the middle of the 16th century capital accumulated, and the men adapted to be its instruments grew to be the governing class. Thirteen Adam states of the era, in 1688, when the momentum of England suddenly increased, the change was equivalent to the conquest of the island by a new race. 14 London became the center of this global expansionist acquisition, a new Rome, where the wealth of the world was deposited. These hordes, the savings of millions of human beings for centuries, the English seized and took to London, as the Romans had taken the spoil of Greece and Pontus to Italy. What the value of the treasure was, no man can estimate, but it must have been many millions of pounds, a vast sum in proportion to the stock of the precious metals then owned by Europeans. 15. What Adams calls a regime of merchants ruled England from 1688 to 1815. The wealth they accumulated, states Adams, became the primary source of power, and it was in the hands of a new breed of merchant, the bankers. With the advent of the bankers, a profound change came over civilization, for contraction began. 16. The value of money is distinct from the mercantile concern of the value of wares was the concern of the bankers. At the close of the 18th century the great hordes of London passed into the hands of the bankers, the most conspicuous example being the Rothschild. 17. It is here that we see a dichotomy arising between the old merchant, 
including the mercantile adventurers, such as Robert Clive of India to Cecil Rhodes, and on the other hand, the merchant bankers epitomized by the Rothschild. It is here where the two are often mistaken as forming a common power elite. Dr. Carol Quigley 18 described the character of international finance and the move of its center to the city. Financially, England had discovered the secret of credit. Economically, England had embarked on the Industrial Revolution. 19 Here we discern immediately a dichotomy operating within British power politics, that of usury-based finance, which is cosmopolitan and parasitic, and that of the ingenuity of the Englishman and Scott as inventor and entrepreneur, as creator. It was this creativity and inventiveness, coupled with the bravery of the British military and the dedication of the British administrator, that was pressed into the service of parasitic finance, behind the cover of the British flag and crown. These two factors at work, one cosmopolitan and one British, are often confused as being one and the same. Quickly continues. Credit had been known to the Italians and the Netherlanders long before it became one of the instruments of English world supremacy. Nevertheless, the founding of the Bank of England by William Patterson and his friends in 1694 is one of the great dates in world history. 20. Quigley explained, far more succinctly than economists, that the basis of the debt finance system is fractional reserves. This method had its origin in the realization by goldsmiths that they did not need to hold the equivalent of gold reserves in their vaults to the amount of paper certificates issued representing the value of gold. As there was unlikely to be a run on the vault by its depositors all demanding at once the return of their gold deposits, the goldsmith could issue paper certificates far in excess of the value of the amount of gold in his vaults. 21. Fractional reserves remains the method of international finance, albeit no longer with the need for gold reserves. In particular, it should be kept in mind that the basis of the system is usury, where interest is charged for the loan of this bogus credit. Not only must the principal be paid back in real wealth, productive labor or creativity, but added interest. Quigley remarks that in effect, this creation of paper claims greater than the reserves available means that bankers were creating money out of nothing. According to Quigley, William Patterson, having obtained the Royal Charter for the Bank of England in 1694 remarked, the bank hath benefit of interest on all monies which it creates out of nothing. 22. The center of gravity for the merchant bankers had long been Amsterdam. The Republic of the United Provinces, which included Holland, had from the start accorded Jews, as the catalysts of incipient international free trade, equal protection. 23 According to Dr. Stanley Chapman, professor of economic history at Nottingham University, the Sephardic Jewish community in Amsterdam had become adroit as lenders to foreign governments. 24. Shall we, then, say there had been a conspiracy of Dutch merchants to rule the world? I think not. Yet neither can it be said in justice this was a Jewish conspiracy. The establishment of the Bank of England was a Protestant affair with anti-Catholic underpinnings. From France came the Huguenots who, like the Dutch Sephardim, had established international connections through family networks across Europe and had also formed a community in the city, by the mid-18th century.25 The English Revolution of 1642-1648, which established the Republican Commonwealth under Oliver Cromwell in 1649, enduring under his son Richard until 1659, had opened the way for a shift of international banking from Amsterdam to London. The impetus for British imperial expansion had started under Cromwell. The merchant coterie of Amsterdam, which had backed Cromwell, was permitted entry into England. 
Manasseh ben Israel had appealed to Cromwell on the grounds of mercantile profitability to any nation that gave the Jewish merchant bankers freedom, as Amsterdam had done. Manasseh assured Cromwell that profit was the best reason why the merchant bankers should be permitted into England. Profit is a most powerful motive, and which all the world prefer before all other things, and therefore we shall handle that point first. It is a thing confirmed, the merchandising is, as it were, the roper profession of the nation of Jews, 26. Manasseh proceeded with explanations as to why this is so, due to the lack of opportunity from the time of the exile, to possess a state of their own and to till the land, leading Jews to give themselves wholly unto merchandising. Their dispersion throughout the world enabled them to form networks across borders, to engage in commerce, with a common language that transcended the linguistic barriers of others. 27. While the supremacy of money in England was set in motion by Henry VIII's Reformation, and the English Revolution a century later heralded the triumph of the merchant, it was not until the usurpation of the throne by William III of Orange in 1688, with the deposing of James II, that the Bank of England was established. From then on the national debt was owed to the usurers. From the time of King Henry I tally sticks had served as the king's currency. These tally sticks were carved sticks broken lengthwise. The Chancellor of the Exchequer kept one half, and the king spent the other half into circulation, 28 like President John F. Kennedy did in 1963, when he issued $4 billion United States notes directly into circulation via the U.S. Treasury, circumventing the Federal Reserve Bank.29 Eventually, the two halves would be matched to prevent counterfeiting. The tally sticks could be used as exchange for commerce and in payment of taxes. They circulated in England for 726 years until eliminated on the demand of the Bank of England in 1826.30. Although William was the maternal grandson of Charles I, he was born in Holland and destined to fulfill the legacy of Cromwell in placing England under the bondage of the merchant bankers, then centered in Holland. The anti-Catholic sentiment that had started under Henry VIII was a catalyst in assuring William's support in driving James II from the throne. Under William the authority of the monarchy was reduced, and that of Parliament enhanced. The Apocal Act of William was to grant the charter to William Patterson to establish the Bank of England. This acquiescence might be explained by William having heavily borrowed in Amsterdam to fight his continental wars. 31 The link between the bankers of Amsterdam and of London was maintained even into the 19th century, and by the mid-18th century there was a considerable colony formed in the city by the science of the Amsterdam banking families.32. The idea for the Bank of England came from the example of the Whistlebank, founded in 1609 which, according to the Bank of England's account, was the lender to the city of Amsterdam, the province of Holland and the Dutch East India Company, exercising a monopoly over state borrowing and coinage.33 The move to establish such a bank in England gained momentum after the glorious revolution of 1688 when William of Orange and Queen Mary jointly ascended the throne of England. The political economist Sir William Petty wrote that the power of England would be magnified if there were a bank to lend the throne credit.34 He did not explain why it could not be a state bank issuing its own credit and had to be a private bank accruing interest on credit that it makes out of nothing, as its founder, William Patterson, explained. According to Petty such a bank would furnish stock enough to drive the trade of the whole commercial world. 35. The Bank of England explains that after the rejection by Parliament of several proposals the bank and a fund for perpetual interest were accepted, having gained support from the city on recommendation by Michael Godfrey, a leading merchant. 36. 
1734 the Bank of England moved into a vast purpose-built building, nicknamed the Old Lady of Threadneedle Street, in the city.37 it was from the founding of the Bank of England that the funded national debt was born. 38 the present-day description of credit by the Bank of England is quite illuminating. The bank's historical account states that at the time credit was called imaginary money. Until then the man in the street had simply thought of money as coins, but this shibboleth was now overturned. Money could take other forms that had no intrinsic value. The 18th century was a period dominated by governmental demand on the bank for finance, the national debt grew from £12 million in 1700 to £850 million by 1815, the year of Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo. 39. In 1946 the bank was nationalized, but as in the nationalization of other such banks, such as New Zealand's Reserve Bank in 1936, this means little, as the real authority comes from the creation of credit by the international merchant bankers. However, as the bank's account states, in 1997 the government formally handed its financial authorities over to the bank and it thus rejoined the ranks of the world's independent central banks. 40. The purpose of these central banks, which the general public believes are controlled by governments, was to bring into their financial network the provincial banking centers. To form all of these into a single financial system on an international scale which manipulated the quantity and flow of money so that they were able to influence, if not control, governments on one side and industries on the other. The men who did this aspired to establish dynasties of international bankers, 41 the center of the system was in London, with major offshoots in New York and Paris, and it has left, as its greatest achievement, an integrated banking system, 42. Rothschild, Lords of International Finance From the establishment of the Rothschild banking dynasty in England by Nathan M. Rothschild, the city becomes synonymous with that dynasty. Further still, these suddenly British Rothschild become British imperialists in the manner a chameleon changes his color according to survival needs. It is the insinuation of the Rothschild into the British power structure that has generated much discussion of a British imperial conspiracy centered around Cecil Rhodes and Alfred Milner, and the so-called Round Table Group that they founded to extend British influence throughout the world. It is further frequently claimed this emerged as an Anglo-American conspiratorial network that continues to the present in attempting to establish Anglo-American global hegemony. Theorists of this Anglo-American network most frequently cite Harvard historian Dr. Carol Quigley, who had access to what were presumably the papers of the Council on Foreign Relations. For reasons not known to this writer, Dr. Quigley, informative on so much in the course of his magnum opus, Tragedy and Hope, erred in thinking that an oligarchic Anglo-American network was formed in the aftermath of World War I and continues to the present. We shall briefly examine this error in due course. However, for the moment Quigley had some pertinent things to say about both the Rothschild and the international system of control that was developing. Quigley stated that one of the primary reasons the center of international finance shifted to London was because the British upper class, which was not as rooted in noble birth as in money, was quite willing to recruit both money and ability from lower levels of society and even from outside the country, welcoming American heiresses and Central European Jews to its ranks. This allowed the power structure to take on a cosmopolitan flavor. We might note this vulgarization of the English ruling class seems to have begun during the time of Henry VIII. Quigley described the development of the financial network by the international bankers into a world control system, and the assumption of the Rothschild dynasty to primacy. In time they brought into their financial network the provisional banking centers, organized as commercial banks and savings banks, 
as well as insurance companies. The greatest of these dynasties, of course, were the descendants of Meyer Amschel Rothschild, whose male descendants, for at least two generations, generally married first cousins or even nieces. Rothschild five sons, established at branches in Vienna, London, Naples and Paris, as well as Frankfurt, cooperated together in ways which other international banking dynasties copied but rarely excelled. 43. Quickly pointed out these bankers were cosmopolitan and international rather than nationalistic, 44 and this, by the very nature of their business, is what they remain. Brooks Adams states that towards the close of the 18th century the boards of the city passed from the merchants to merchant bankers, the most conspicuous example, being, the family of Rothschild. 45. Meyer Amschel had established his fortune by handling the financial affairs of William IX of Hesse Castle, who had been paid well by the British government for supplying troops against the American revolt. At the time Amsterdam had been the capital of international banking, but the Napoleonic invasion of Holland had led to the closing of the Amsterdam Bourse, the leading continental exchange. Meyer Amschel and several others were situated to provide William IX with funds.46 Additionally, in 1800 Meyer Amschel had become imperial crown agent for the Emperor of Austria. He was what Derek Wilson described as one of the first of a new breed of businessmen, the truly international merchant banker. Wilson states that for centuries the Jews had played a prominent part in long-distance commerce due to their communal loyalty with which they were able to create a commercial subculture. However, they were reliant on the patronage of rulers. Now, the revolutionary tumult in Europe had swept away traditional rulers and placed money on a footing of power. In 1798 Nathan Rothschild set up shop in England and in 1806 he became a naturalized Englishman. 47 The Rothschild were backing the coalition against Napoleon, who was upsetting the continental system of finance. In 1808 Nathan took over the financial affairs of the landgrave William IX in England. That year he moved his business to 12 Great Helen Street, the city, under the name of N. M. Rothschild and Brothers. 48 with agents throughout Europe, the Rothschild were valuable allies in organizing smugglers and couriers in the war against Napoleon. By now, on the initiative of Nathan Rothschild, the nerve center of Rothschild operations had shifted from Frankfurt to London. 49 Wilson reiterates that through Nathan's family and his large network of agents and couriers he was better informed about European affairs than any man in London, including members of the government. 50 Wilson is altogether too charitable in ascribing patriotic-British motives to Nathan, in contrast to what he frankly says about the lack of national patriotism among the other Rothschild brothers toward anything other than loyalty and responsibility to the chosen people. 51 Rather, Nathan and the rest of the dynasty were assisting in the fight against Napoleon because the upstart was undermining the financial system. Quigley explains that the credit creation mechanism developed by the international bankers, as previously described, was to become one of the chief weapons in the victory over Napoleon in 1815. The emperor, as the last great mercantilist, could not see money in any but concrete terms and was convinced that his efforts to fight wars on the basis of sound money, by avoiding the creation of credit, would ultimately win him a victory by bankrupting England. 52 Hence, the war against Napoleon was in part a war between two systems of economics involving the reorganization of Europe. The British Empire and Cecil Rhodes it is a significant error of interpretation for historians such as Carol Quigley or E.C. Knuth 53 to suppose there is an Anglo-American network working for world rule on the edifice of English sentiments. 
It is also erroneous to assume that because the merchant bankers found it opportune to lend credit to governments that ruled over empires, these bankers, who are cosmopolitan, have an enduring commitment to some type of nationally based imperialism, whether it be British, American, German, Dutch, etc. The theory of the Anglo-American network written about by Quigley was adopted by conspiracy theorists such as W. Cleonskousen.54 The basis of these theories centers on Lord Rothschild being the banker to Cecil Rhodes. The theory states that Lord Natty Rothschild was part of Rhodes' secret society, the Roundtable Groups, that aimed to spread the benevolence of British imperialism over the world. 55 These imperial ideals were said to be motivated by the teachings of the Oxford art historian John Ruskin, who exhorted his students to take British culture to the ends of the earth. While Lord Rothschild saw the empire as the means by which commerce could be spread and maintained by force of arms, the support was pragmatic, and owes nothing to a commitment to any British ideals as envisaged by Rhodes Al. Derek Wilson writes of this in relation to Lord Rothschild's opposition to Gladstone's flabby foreign policy, but Lord Rothschild was not an unbridled expansionist. This is clearly shown by his relationship with a man who was an unbridled expansionist, Cecil Rhodes. 56. When diamonds were discovered in South Africa, the Rothschild bought into the Anglo-African Diamond Mining Company Limited, which was amalgamated with De Beers. In 1887 Rhodes returned from South Africa to Britain to ask Lord Rothschild for financial backing. Lord Rothschild saw this as the means of establishing commercial stability in South Africa against their main rival, the Barnado Diamond Mining Company, which also ended up merging with De Beers.57 for Rhodes, making money was a means of spreading British imperial ideals. Not so for Rothschild, although Rhodes persuaded himself Natty was of like mind. He was wrong. Lord Rothschild was not an unreserved imperialist, as Rhodes gradually discovered. In 1888 Rhodes made a will nominating Natty to administer most of his estate for funding the round table groups. Wilson writes. In response to Rhodes' suggestion that company funds be used to finance territorial expansion, his banker advised, if you require money to finance territorial expansion, you will have to obtain it from other sources than the cash reserves of the De Beers Company. And Rhodes cannot have been very pleased to learn, in 1892, that Rothschild had floated a loan for the Boer government of the Transvaal.58. The Rothschild were interested in commercial stability, not British imperial expansion. By the time of the abortive Jameson raid organized by Rhodes against the Boer Transvaal Republic in 1895, he had long ceased to have close and cordial relations with Natty. Probably he never grasped the fact that, Though the Rothschild disliked Gladstone's policy of colonial retrenchment, they were not advocates of unbridled imperialism for its own sake. 59. Hence, when a few decades later imperialism became a hindrance to unbridled international free trade, the international bankers used the newly emergent power of the USA to scuttle the old European empires over the course of half a century, and the oligarchs moved into the power vacuum of the new decolonized states. 60. This myth of the Anglo-American network for world control is centered around a supposed alliance between the Royal Institute of International Affairs, RIIA, and the U.S. globalist think tank, the Council on Foreign Relations, CFR, 61 founded in the aftermath of World War I by the U.S. power elite. Again, this assumed alliance is erroneous, the proffered alliance between the two bodies never eventuated. Far from there being accord between supposed Anglophiles on both sides of the Atlantic, there was a breach. Peter Gross, the CFR's historian, 
mentions that both sides soon rejected the suggested alliance before it eventuated. 62. The Rothschild were concerned with Britain's imperial links for sound commercial reasons, but with maximum freedom of trade. 63. It was inevitable that free trade and the old European imperialism were going to conflict. The role assumed by the USA in subverting and destroying the old empires can be discerned by the 14 points decreed by President Woodrow Wilson as the blueprint for the post-war world in 1918-64 by the Atlantic Charter, 65 imposed on Britain by President F.D. Roosevelt in 1945, both of which focus on international free trade as the basis for the world economy and specifically repudiate the old empires.66. Soon after World War II the Rothschild increased their focus on Wall Street, and their hitherto relatively small Amsterdam Incorporated was reformed as an investment bank named New Court Securities, its share capital being taken up by the Rothschild banks in Paris and London. Where hitherto the Rothschild had mainly been concerned with negotiating loans with states, they were now involved in the rapid post-war expansion of Western commerce and industry, 67 freed up by the destruction of the old empires, and the inauguration of a new era of international financial agreements, formalized by the Bretton Woods Agreement. This is what the biographer Wilson calls the Rothschild New, Deliberate Internationalism, 68 no longer constrained by nation-states and imperial ideals. However, the city remains a focus. The Rothschild led the way in forging links between Tokyo and London. Edmund Coe led a delegation from the city to Tokyo in 1962 and received the Order of the Sacred Treasure from Emperor Hirohito. Regardless of these new avenues opened up for post-war globalization and free trade, certain plutocratic traditions remain features of the city, the gold-fixing room at the Rothschild offices, New Court, continue to be the place where the leading London bullion dealers daily sit around a table to agree on the price of gold. N.M. Rothschild continues to be the most important bullion dealer in Britain. 69 of the 480 banks in the city, Rothschild remains supreme. 70. London, capital of the world. However, other avenues for profit besides the traditional dealings in gold bullion are emerging. The one for our era is credits for greenhouse emissions, and with this profit also comes new schemes for world control. In 2008, Simon Linnet, Executive Vice Chairman of N.M. Rothschild, wrote a policy document on the issue. 71 Linnet defines greenhouse emissions as the new form of social market. He states that while it must be free trade that operates in defining the value of the carbon emission exchange, what is required is an international institution. He writes that such a market has to be established on a world basis coordinated by an international institution with a constitution to match. 72 Linnet frankly states that this involves a new world order. That, perhaps, it might be regarded as having wider benefits than merely saving the planet- perhaps it might be the basis of a new world order. 73. Of various methods suggested to limit carbon emissions, carbon trading is held by Linnet to be the most effective. 74 implicit in the various measures, including funding new technology and changing the consumption habits of individuals is, that nations have to be prepared to subordinate, to a certain extent, some of their sovereignty to this world initiative. 75 When countries are already foregoing the right of direct control over monetary policy through the creation of independent central banks, this could be a relatively small price to pay for such inclusion. 76 The system being proposed by Linnet, in the cause of saving the planet, is the consolidation of the international banking system under a central authority. Linnet states that the European nations have already ceded their sovereignty to the European Union, the next step being, 
to yield sovereignty to a bigger world body on carbon trading. 77 If such a route map could be found, then perhaps we might be at the beginning of a new world constitution and a new world order. 78 The world authority that Linnet proposes he calls the World Environment Authority, WEA. This would be based in what he calls a world city. 79 Linnet suggests that this world city should be London, the city, due to it being a world financial center, possibly the world financial center. 80. Whatever might be said about Wall Street, or the shift of global political power to Washington and New York, clearly the city still holds sway in the thinking of some of the primary oligarchs of international finance. 6. Eliphas Levi, The History of Magic, translated by A. E. Waite, 1913, Ryder, 1982, 310. Levi in condemning the profanity of Freemasonry and its involvement in political subversion, including the French Revolution, was doing so as an initiate of the 18 degrees, the Rosicrucian degree. This is indicated in a footnote to his History of Magic, where he states, Having attained by our efforts to a grade of knowledge which imposes silence, we regard ourselves as pledged by our convictions even more than by an oath. And we shall in no wise fail to deserve the princely crown of the Rosy Cross. 286. Levi here states that he was staying true to what he considered the genuine tradition of Masonry, whilst condemning what he saw as the perversion of Masonry by the counter-tradition. His reference to the Masonic Oath attached to the Rosy Cross indicates he had reached as far as the 18 degrees of Knight of the Pelican and Eagle and Sovereign Prince Rosequois of Heardom. 7. Robin Waterfield, René Ganon and the Future of the West, Sophia Perinus, 2002-21. 8. René Ganon, the Reign of Quantity and the Signs of the Times New York, Sophia Perennis, 2001, 260-261. 9. Was Rudolf Steiner a Freemason? http colon slash slash www.4hairs.com slash Freemasonry slash Steiner underscore and underscore Masonry dot html. 10. Rudolf Steiner, The Aramonic Deception, Zurich, October 27, 1919, wn.resarchive.org slash lectures slash deck underscore index.html. 11. Ibid. 12. Ibid. 13. Ibid. 14. Oswald Spengler, The Decline of the West, George Allen and Unwin, 1971. Spengler, writing in the early 20th century, contended that history is not lineal progressive, but that each civilization is self-contained and goes through its own analogous organic cycles of birth, youth, maturity, old age and death. During the latter epochs of a civilization, culture becomes ossified and materialistic and money-thinking dominates. This is the cycle of present Western civilization. Broadly, the historical cyclic theories of both Steiner and Spengler can be used in tandem. 15. Rudolf Steiner, The Aramonic Deception, Op. C.A.T. 16. Vidi Spengler, Op. C.A.T. 17. Ibid. 18. Ibid. 19. For the political agendas of the international bankers, including the connections with Marxism, see K.R. Bolton, Revolution from Above, Arctis Media Limited, 2011. 20. Rudolf Steiner, The Aramonic Deception, Op. C.A.T. 21. Rudolf Steiner, The Work of the Secret Societies in the World, Berlin, December 23, 1904,
wn.resarchive.org slash lectures slash 19041223po2.html 22. Nesta H. Webster, Secret Societies, and Subversive Movements, Britain's Publishing Company, 1964, Chapter 6, The Grand Lodge Era, 128-129. 23. John Robeson, 1798, Proofs of a Conspiracy, Western Islands, 1967, Introduction, 6. 24. Rudolf Steiner, The Karma of Untruthfulness, Rudolf Steiner Archive Georgia 173, December 18, 1916, http colon slash slash www.resarchive.org slash lectures slash ga slash index dot php. Guy equals g dot a. 0173. 25. Rudolf Steiner, Karma of Untruthfulness, Part 2, GA 174, January 8, 1917. HTTP colon slash slash www.resarchive.org slash ga slash index dot php. Guy equals g dot a. 0174. 26 Ibid. 27. Ibid. 28. Ibid. 29. Rudolf Steiner, The History and Actuality of Imperialism, Dornich, Switzerland, February 21, 1920-. K.R. Bolton, Revolution from Above, London, Arctis Media Limited, 2011, Passam. City of London, What is the City of London? http colon slash slash www.cityoflondon.gov.uk slash corporation slash lgnl underscore services slash council underscore and underscore democracy slash council underscore department slash whatis.htm. Ibid, Business, http colon slash slash www.cityoflondon.gov.uk slash corporation slash lgnl underscore services slash business slash ibid the lord mayor of the city of london http colon slash slash www.cityoflondon.gov.uk slash corporation slash lgnl underscore services slash council underscore and underscore democracy slash councillors underscore democracy underscore and underscore elections slash the underscore lord underscore mayor slash history of temple bar http colon slash slash www.thetemplebar.info slash history ibid ezra pound 1944, America, Roosevelt and the Causes of the Present War, London, Peter Russell, 1951, 6. Brooks Adams, The Law of Civilization, London, Macmillan, 1896, 230. Ibid, 233. Ibid, 245. Ibid, 245. Ibid, 292 293. Ibid, 294. Ibid, 298. Ibid, 305. Ibid, 321. Ibid, 321. Carol Quigley, of Harvard University, and the Foreign Service School at Georgetown University, was a scholar of considerable reputation, until he wrote a few dozen pages on the conspiratorial nature of international finance, albeit in a sympathetic light, in his 1,300-page magnum opus Tragedy and Hope in 1966. Carol Quigley, Tragedy and Hope New York, Macmillan Co., 1966, 48. Ibid, 48. Ibid, 48. Ibid, 49. The States General of the Republic of the United Provinces, Declaration Protecting the Interests of Jews Residing in Holland, 
July 13, 1657, in Paul Armendas Flar and J. Huda Reinhardt's, ed., The Jew in the Modern World, A Documentary History New York, Oxford University Press, 1980, 16. Stanley Chapman, The Rise of Merchant Banking, Oxen, Routledge, 2006, 2. Ibid, 4. Vanessa Ben Israel, How Profitable the Nation of the Jews Are, To His Highness the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, Scotland and Ireland, in Paul Armendas Flar and J. Huda Reinhardt's, ed., The Jew in the Modern World, op. CIT, 9. Ibid, 10. The editors remarked that although Manasseh's mission to Cromwell in 1655 was ostensibly unsuccessful, it did prepare the way for the resettlement of the Jews in England. Ibid, 12 Note 1. El Laborde, The Unholy Alliance, Silver Trading Company, Article No. 18, February 12, 2012, http://www.silvertrading.net/.articles-metals-18-the-unholy-alliance.html. J.F. Kennedy, Executive Order 11110, June 4, 1963. El Laborde, Op. C.A.T. Stanley Chapman Op. C.A.T. 2. Stanley Chapman, Ibid, 3. Major Developments, Bank of England, http colon slash slash www.bankofengland.co.uk slash about slash history slash major underscore developments dot htm. Ibid, http colon slash slash www.bankofengland.co.uk slash about slash history slash major underscore developments dot htm number 2. Ibid, Ibid. Visit the city, the Bank of England, http colon slash slash www.visitthesity.co.uk slash index.php slash attraction slash view slash 448 slash ibid, http colon slash slash www.bankofengland.co.uk slash about slash history slash major underscore developments dot htm number 2. ibid, Http colon slash slash www.bankofengland.co.uk slash about slash history slash major underscore developments dot htm number three. Ibid, http colon slash slash www.bankofengland.co.uk slash about slash history slash major underscore developments dot htm number five. Carol Quickly, op. CIT, 51. Carol Quickly, Ibid, 50. Ibid, 51. Ibid, 51-52. Brooks Adams, op. CIT, 322. D. Wilson, Rothschild, A Story of Wealth and Power, London, Andre Deutsch Limited, 1988-17. Ibid, 21. Ibid, 33. Ibid, 34. Ibid, 41. Ibid, 42. Carol Quigley, op.cit, 49. E. C. Knuth, 1946, The Empire of the City, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, reprinted 1982, no other publication details. W. Cleon Skousen, The Naked Capitalist, a review and commentary on Dr. Carol Quigley's book Tragedy and Hope, Salt Lake City, Utah, 1971. Carol Quigley, Op. CIT, 131, W. Cleon Skousen, Op. CIT, 30. Derek Wilson, Op. CIT, 303. Derek Wilson, Ibid, 304. Ibid, 305. Ibid. 
A.K. Chesterton, The New Unhappy Lords, Hampshire, Candor Publishing Company, 1975, Passam. Carol Quigley, Op. CIT, 132-133, W. Cleon Skousen, Op. CIT, 31. Peter Gross, Continuing the Inquiry, The Council on Foreign Relations from 1921 to 1996, New York, Council on Foreign Relations, 2006. The entire book can be read online at, Council on Foreign Relations, http colon slash slash www.cfr.org slash about slash history slash cfr slash index html, kr Bolton, Revolution from Above, op. CIT 24-25, note 5. Derek Wilson, op. CIT 305. W. Wilson, 14 points, 1918. HTTP colon slash slash www.fordham.edu slash halshall slash mod slash 1918wilson.html. Franklin D. Roosevelt and Winston S. Churchill, The Atlantic Charter, August 14, 1941, useinfo.org slash doc slash democracy slash 53.htm. E. Roosevelt, as he saw at New York, Jewel, Sloan, and Pierce, 1946-31-35. Derek Wilson, op. CIT, 397. Derek Wilson, Ibid. Ibid, 436. Ibid. Simon Linnet, Trading Emissions, Full Global Potential, London, The Social Market Foundation, January 2008. Online at, http://www.smf.co.uk/assets/files/publications/smf_trading_emissions.pdf. Ibid 4. Ibid. Ibid 8. Ibid 12. Ibid. Ibid 12. Ibid 18. Ibid 15. Ibid 19.